hope everyone is doing well this morning. My name is Josh Burnham, lead pastor here at Bethel, and uh, just excited that I can open up the word of the Lord with you. Uh, and just want to encourage you in this way. Uh, the word of God will last forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, it stands. It is more living and active than any man's word, any church's word. And so it is this word, I believe, will change our lives today. So with that, we are going to look at Isaiah 61. Um, we as a community of faith have been journeying through Isaiah for the last several months. And we were really with ashes walking through the first 39 chapters. And then something happens after chapter 39. There's a, there's a break in Isaiah and the judgment and the wrath because of the sin of the people has turned to joy and rejoicing. And so now we pick up again on this idea that the Messiah is coming and His grace is sufficient. Isaiah 61, if you um, would like to turn to the Pew Bible, it's page 657. Six, five, seven in the, the Pew Bibles there today. Yeah, I've often wondered what it would be like to actually live in Scripture. That's where my imagination goes. When I open the Word of the Lord, can you imagine when Adam and Eve were actually walking in the cool of the garden with God? And what does God sound like when He walks? Does, does God footstep make a noise and how long is his stride I mean are you is he are you having to walk really fast to keep up with the Lord or is it just a time of refreshment and then I think about Noah right Noah's building this ark and it hasn't rained and can you imagine Noah building for years and years and years and telling his family it's going to rain it's going to rain and Noah eventually comes to point thinking Lord is it going to rain and readying the ark and all the animals are there and just waiting. Can you imagine being Noah? Thinking, God, by faith, I believe what you said. And there are other parts of scripture that just captivate my heart. You know, in Egypt, when when the tent plague comes and God tells his people, if you put the blood of the lamb over your doorstep, then the death angel will pass over you and you'll be saved. But can you imagine that night of your family huddled around in, in the inner room and thinking, okay, it's about midnight and we've, we've trusted God, but here it comes. And, and the intimacy of that moment. And then you look at Christ. Can you imagine being at the stable when Jesus was actually born? And seeing the, all of the announcements coming. And I think what we see today is, is one of those moments for me. Like the first time that Jesus Christ ever publicly reads Scripture. Now, it depends on the church service. Can you imagine the person that has to preach after Jesus reads the Scripture? And we find Jesus in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4, going to the synagogue as he always does. And in every local synagogue, there would be a seat, and they call it the seat of Moses. And the seat of Moses in all the local synagogues would face away from Jerusalem with the signification that the law comes from Jerusalem and the authority comes from the temple and comes from the Lord. And 
the person sitting in the seat of Moses would have the authority. So they would sit down and they would stand up. And when they would stand up, someone would give them a scroll. Not, not, a, not a Kindle or an iPad or a phone with a scroll. And they would take the scroll and they would open the scroll and they would read. And to discuss the scripture, they would sit back down. And Luke 4 tells us that this is going on. That Jesus is there in the temple in Nazareth. Someone gives him a scroll and Luke says he finds this scripture. He reads the scripture and says this. In your hearing today, this has been fulfilled. And he sits down. And he gives them the scroll. Can you imagine being there the first time Jesus, the Son of God, reads the word of God through the spirit of God out loud to the world? And what we're going to read today is exactly what Jesus read 2,000 years ago. Jesus takes a scroll of Isaiah, points to Isaiah 61, and reads this out loud. And so let's look at the exact words that Jesus reads. Now, of course, he's not reading in English. He's reading in Aramaic or Hebrew. But this is the exact passage that Jesus points to. Isaiah 61. If we could have only been there. Now, imagine what that would be like. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, I don't know if Jesus stops at this point. But I can imagine him looking to the people in Nazareth saying, look, you've been waiting 700 years for this me to show up. And I want you to know that he's here. This, this me, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Jesus is pointing to the world and saying, I am him. The coming Messiah, he is here. And Jesus continues, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. Isaiah says this about Messiah, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion and to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, splendid clothes instead of despair, and they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers will stand and feed your flocks. And foreigners will be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you, you will be called the Lord's priest. They will speak of you as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of the nations and you will boast in their riches. In place of your shame, you will have a double portion. In place of disgrace, they will rejoice over their share. So they will possess double in their land, and eternal joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and injustice. I will faithfully reward my people. I will make a permanent covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations. Now let me stop there. Who is that? That's us. And their posterity among all the people. Who, who is that? That's us. All 
who see them will recognize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness as a groom wears a turban and as a bride adorns herself with fabulous jewels. For as the earth produces its growth, and as a garden enables what is sown to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Let's pray. Father, blessed be the reading of your word. And oh, what it would have been like to hear your son for the first time unroll the scroll and share that this has been fulfilled. Lord, we thank you that we can gather in a building in St. Clair County around the Messiah who has fulfilled the exact scriptures that we read today. Lord, what a tremendous privilege it is to read your word. Lord, may we not hear only, but may we be doers. We pray for the one who does not believe. Father, may your spirit illuminate their mind and their heart. And may the gospel spring up in their lives today. And may they run to the one place where they can find abundant life, to your throne, where they will find mercy in their time of need. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Wow. So what is going on in Isaiah? Some of you are thinking that. This is a long scripture. What is going on here? Well, I believe that Isaiah is reminding people again about the means of salvation. Now, if you've been tracking with us for several weeks or months, you know that the, the name Isaiah literally means Yahweh saves. God is our Savior, this covenant-making God is the one who saves. And how does he save? Well, Isaiah is pointing to the means of that salvation. The New Testament would say it this way. There is only one name under heaven by which men can be saved. Jesus says it this way. Jesus says that he is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus. Isaiah says it this way. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news, gospel, to the poor. This is what Isaiah says about righteousness. We have an opportunity to become righteous. Righteous trees planted for the glory of God in verses 3 and 4. How do we do that? It is because there's a me in the gospel. Now, it's not what you're thinking. It's not me. It's not this me. It's the me of the Messiah. So the first point we see in Isaiah is that we cannot forget the me of the gospel. Three times Isaiah says it. He says it for the hard-headed people like me, right? Isaiah says in verse 1, the spirit of the Lord God is on me. And I can imagine Jesus reading that, like waving his hand, synagogue, like right here. Spirit of the Lord God is on me. I'm the Messiah. And then it says, because the Lord God has anointed me. This is Jesus fulfilling this to bring good news to the poor. And and those who are still scratching their heads, Jesus says, okay. He has sent me. The me of the gospel, the means for our salvation, the hope of our righteousness is the me of 
Jesus Christ. Why is that so important in our lives? Because there is not enough room in our lives for two me's. It is either the me of the Messiah or it is the me of self-sufficiency. God doesn't allow us to do both. Jesus is our salvation. He is the me of the gospel. And I know we struggle with that as Westerners because we, we want our worlds to be about me, myself, and I. And if you are a Christ follower, there is no room in your life for you, yourself, or I anymore. Why is that? Because Jesus is our salvation. And not only is Jesus our salvation, Jesus is salvation. And th- that's exactly what Isaiah is saying. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon who? It's on, upon Jesus Christ. You see, without the Messiah, we will never reach the benefits of the gospel. Now, I'm going to share how we need to be very careful how we invite people to Christ Because if we're not careful, we as Westerners jump past verse 1. And we want to go to the the freedom and the joy and the favor and the oil. But you can't jump past verse 1. We can't receive the benefits of knowing Jesus unless we know Jesus Christ. And we live in a culture where we want the benefits of God without God sometimes. And we should reject that ideology. It is either Christ alone or nothing else. We need the me of the gospel in our life. See, Jesus is not a glorified tour guide to heaven. And he's not a glorified tour guide through earth so that we might feel better about ourselves. And I think we've, we've often done others a disservice because if we're not careful, we'll share Christ like this. And if you've done this, I'm not saying you're in sin and you need to fling yourself at the altar and repent. Maybe. But we need to be very careful that we don't share Christ like this. If you die right now because of your sin, you're going to hell. And if you want to go to heaven, then say this prayer. Where is Jesus in that? I really believe there are going to be people that they're going to look into heaven and they're going to be surprised. They're like, Jesus is there? Like, Jesus is in heaven. Because I wanted the pearly gates and the streets of gold and the kingdom, but this Jesus I don't know about. And Isaiah is screaming to us, you cannot receive the benefits of the good news without the me of the Messiah. You know how we need to share Jesus? Listen, it could be really rough if you follow him. The road is narrow and it's difficult, but it's worth it. And he will make you righteous and he will clothe you in robes of righteousness. And you know what? There, might be, there will be a heaven one day and there are going to be streets of gold, but you're not even going to think about them because God is going to be so beautiful. And there's going to be a pearly gate, but you're not even going to look at it because it doesn't even compare to the pearl of great price who is Jesus Christ. And so follow Jesus. Treasure him above all. And you know what? This heaven thing, yeah, it'll be there. But heaven is heaven because that is where Jesus is. That is why we live. It is the me of the Messiah. And Isaiah is sharing with us, our lives are not big enough for two me's. Galatians 2.20, Paul would say it this way. He would say, it is, I, I have been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives with him. It's almost like he's reading this, this verse. And 
Isaiah 61, it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives within me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of Man, in the Son of God. What is Isaiah sharing with us? There is not room enough in your life for two me's. It is either the me of the Messiah or it is the me of self-sufficiency. Who are you living for today? Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So I simply ask you this. If you receive no benefits, no benefits other than knowing God himself, would you follow Jesus Christ? We live in a benefit-driven society, don't we? If there were no earthly benefits other than you get to know God and be in relationship with God, would you still follow Jesus Christ? And and I've been reflecting on that question this week. And the more I think about it, if that's the only thing that we can receive from knowing Jesus is to be with our Father in relationship, that's enough. I'm in. I'm in. If Jesus says, man, your world's going to fall apart, you have to walk this narrow road, and there's going to be difficulty and persecution, but Josh, if you follow me, you get to know my Father. If you know me, you see the Father. Jesus tells us that in the New Testament. It is enough. Do you know the me of the gospel? Spurgeon says it this way, as as he only can. He says, That Jesus is the sum of total bliss, the fountain from which heaven flows, the element of which heaven is composed. Christ is heaven, and heaven is Christ. Man, what a glorious picture we have of the me of the gospel. It is about Jesus Christ. And so at the end of the day, are you living for me, or are you living for the Messiah? Who are you living for? Oh, he is worth it. He is our greatest treasure. But Isaiah doesn't stop there. Verse 1, he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on the Messiah. It is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me. That that word anointed means Messiah. Messiah. To bring good news to the poor. Now let's unpack that. If the core of the gospel is Jesus... Three times, the Messiah. Me, me, me. Not you, you, you. Him, him, him. Then Jesus gives us the benefits. So the blessing of God leads to the benefits of God. So what is the message of knowing Jesus Christ? We start here in verse 1. Part of that message of the good news is that he will bring good news to the poor. Now it is, what kind of news? It's good news, right? The New Testament says euangelion, this gospel, which literally means good news. So the news is so good and glorious that God does not simply announce it from heaven. That God doesn't send a, a heavenly paper airplane or a homing pigeon or text down to earth and say, by the way, here's good news. This good news is so great that it's hand-delivered by Jesus Christ. Think about that. The gospel is hand-delivered. Jesus came to this world. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for not his sins, but our sins. And he 
stayed upon the cross that whoever might believe in him might hear this good news. The good news is good news. And it has been good news and it will always be good news. Why do I reiterate that? Because I think sometimes we forget that the good news is good. We sometimes lump the good news of Jesus Christ as part of the nightly news. As if we just tag it on at the end of the infomercial. We need to believe that this good news is the greatest news in the history of the world. And until we believe that, I don't think we're going to share it. I know some of you cheer for certain colleges or certain proteins because you tell me often. I get it. Some of you even tape videos for Upward with the emblem of your said college of choice. Next time I'm doing the video and I'm going to have mine up there. But we share that. Why? Because we love those schools and that's a great thing. As long as we're not putting that above God, right? That's a great thing. We want people to know our allegiance. But how much better, how much greater is the news of the kingdom than the news of a college or a pro team? There is nothing on earth that compared to this good news. See, the poor that Jesus shares with are the downtrodden and those that are held back. And Jesus reminds us that this good news is good news, great news, powerful news. But it's great news, it's good news to who? Not the self-sufficient, not the arrogant, not the the self-boasting. It's good news to the poor. Jesus reminds us that we are all poor in spirit, poor in heart. And again, we need to... surround ourselves on what the gospel truly is. Because not many people walked in here today. I know I didn't. And I didn't walk in here and pray, God, make me poor. Make me poor of heart. But it's always a good reminder to know that we are the poor of heart. And that this news is good news for these people. And the message continues of the good news. It is the good news to the poor, but it is also healing for the what? He sent Jesus, to heal those who are broken of heart. You see, the picture here is that the sins of a person who are so weighed down that it is utterly and totally broken their heart. It's an inward brokenness. And here's the power of the gospel. Some of you have broken hearts right now because of your sin and your guilt and your shame. And and no one here can see that. But Jesus can see your broken hearts. And you know what Jesus can do for your broken heart? He can heal it. That's the good news of the gospel. So if you're walking a difficult road here today and you don't think anyone sees or anyone cares, I want you to know that Jesus can see your heart. And he will heal your heart. That's the good news of the gospel. Now I want us to think about it for a second. If the gospel is good news to the poor and if healing for the brokenhearted, if we want to get this news to others and God heals the brokenhearted, then who do we need to surround ourselves with? Think about that, right? So if the good news is healing, and we're like, I'm in. We want God. Does, does anyone, I'm not going to ask that. Don't raise your hand. Does anyone not want God to heal someone? Do not raise your hands. Okay, good. So we want God to heal and restore and strengthen. 
But if God heals the brokenhearted, then who do we need to surround ourselves with to get that message out? The brokenhearted. And so if we only surround ourselves with those who have already been healed, how can we communicate to the brokenhearted? We should surround ourselves with broken people. Why? Because we have the message of salvation. We have the message of healing. And you know what broken people look like? They look broken. And we can share with them, God sees your heart. So we need to surround ourselves with those who are broken, those who are weary, those who are poor of spirit, because we have the greatest news in the history of the world. This is the message of the gospel. And my heart and my vision for this church is that this is a place where broken people can come. And they could say, I don't know if I believe in this God, but I know that broken people can come here and find healing. And I want that. So are we speaking? Are we singing? Are we loving in a way where a broken person would be comfortable sitting next to us? That's who we want to be. And when they sit down, we can then say, hey, I know you're broken, but read Isaiah. And they're like, read what? Yeah, Old Testament, you know, 2,700 years ago. Just trust me on this. Read verse 1. God sent his only son for people like you, for those who are broken. And no one can see your heart, but God can see it. And he loves you so much that he sent his son to heal your broken heart. The heart that was broken because of your sin, God can heal that. God loves you. That is our message. This is the message of the gospel. But it continues. It is good and glorious. It is healing and it is freeing. Look what Jesus does for us. He's, he proclaims liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoner. So if your broken heart is an internal condition, then captivity, bondage, is an external condition. Right? If you commit a crime, someone else usually throws you in jail and they hold you captive. And Jesus says that he will radically free us from captivity. Now why is that Important because when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, when you fully, by faith, trust in Jesus, there is no part of your life that will not change. Think about that. When, when we give our lives to Christ, your heart changes, your captivity changes, and your bondage changes. And so this is how we need to think about the gospel. We need to quit portraying, and we might not say it, we must quit portraying a message that you need to get your heart and your life cleaned up and then you follow Christ. The message we must communicate is that I don't care how sinful you are, how broken you are, how difficult your situation is, if you come to Christ, everything changes. Right? Come to Jesus, he'll clean you up. Because anything you do before Jesus Christ, as they say in Mississippi, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. And, and some of us have put religious lipstick on ourselves. And we say, God, I'm new. And God is saying, mm, you know that thing your dad told you about the pig and the lipstick? Josh, come on. You're still piggish. You're still, you're still wallowing in the mud. But I provided for you. I've given you a new life. You don't have to stay in that. It, there, there is freedom in 
Christ. That is the central message of Jesus. So we must fight every day as a church to radically share this message of freedom. And if we're not careful, subconsciously this is what happens. We see people come to faith in Jesus Christ and God has radically and glorious healed their broken heart, given them riches of the gospel for their poor spirit. He's freed them from captivity. And then we say, here's some rules. Boom. We must be very careful not to put people back into bondage. Right? Because we don't come to Christ because of rules. Now, the law shows us our need. The law shows us that we are rule breakers and that we need Jesus Christ. But no one here came to God because of a rule. You came to God because the Holy Spirit has drawn you through the power of Jesus Christ. And so we must be very careful not to superficially bondage people again. So, well, we don't do that. No, we would not. But have you ever told someone, we don't do that here? Who made me the gatekeeper to the house of God? Now, I will be held accountable one day by how I lead the flock. And make no mistake about that. God is holding me eternally responsible. And that is a weight that I bear daily as a called man of God. But who am I to elevate my preference and to bondage anyone again? So before we throw chains on people, we need to remember that Jesus frees the prisoner. May we never enslave anyone else again. And if you are in the bondage of sin, if you feel enslaved, if you feel like you are in that jail, just know that Christ died on the cross to break you out of that to free you from those chains, to free you from those addictions, to free you maybe from this religious institution that you have built to give you some hope. There is no lipstick that will make you acceptable in the house of God. This is the message. And it's not only freeing, it's not only healing, it's not only good, but it is favorable. Look what God says here. He says that Jesus has given us faith favor favor the year's favor in verse two and this is not just a one-time event so for all of our guilt and our shame god will restore us and give us favor in our lives the favor of the lord turns moments of sadness and mourning and replaces them with fresh life in verse three i don't know about you but i could use some refreshing God takes our difficulty and he breathes freshness into us. And not only that, but he puts something on our head. Verse 3. Like this, this favor of God continues. He puts crown of beauty for ashes. Like God is saying, I will radically infuse new life, abundant life into you. This is the message of the gospel. And so I see it like this. The longer I remain in Christ, the greater his favor in my life. The longer I remain in Christ, the more refreshment I should find. The longer I remain in Christ, the more exaltation should be birthed in my heart and out of my mouth. And if we're not careful, I'm not saying that any of you are this person, but if we are not careful, sometimes the longer we remain in Christ, the more grumpy we become. That's Satan. It's not God. 
God is saying, Josh, I'm going to give you refreshment every day. And we walk in here sometimes looking like we ate a lemon. And that does not mean that everything will be great and honky-dory. And some of you fought with your kids in the parking lot. Some of you fought with your spouse. Some of you are battling cancer and addictions. And there are, there are weights that we bear. But in, through that weight, through those ashes, God can give us crowns of splendor. He can breathe new life into dead bones. And the more refreshment that we receive, the more joy should be birthed into our hearts. This is the message of Jesus Christ. And the longer I walk with him, the more I want that message to consume me. The me of the gospel is Jesus in verse 1. The message of the gospel, freedom, healing, rejoicing, new life. And so now we see the maturation of the gospel. So let's jump to the end. Verse 10 and 11. So we begin with a me and we end with an I. Right? So verse 10, we have to figure out who is speaking here. I rejoice greatly. Now, who is the I? I exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He wrapped a robe of righteousness around me. Did Jesus need to be wrapped in a garment of salvation? No. So this is not Jesus. This is those who have found new life. This is those who are under the covenant now through Christ. So what does maturation of the gospel look like in your life? Very clearly it begins here in verse 10. It's this sis assist in the Hebrew. It's this, this doubling of the same word. It's this redoubling of the verbal stem. So it's, it doesn't sound good in English. It would, in Hebrew it is, I rejoice rejoicing. And we're like, huh? And so we say, I will greatly rejoice. But it's this idea that when God is maturing us in faith, we have no choice but to flower and to rejoice. It's as if the longer I grow in Christ, the more the exaltation of God springs up in me. I'll never forget this story. I read it this week. And it's going to stay with me the rest of my life. Many of you watched on the news in 2010 when the, the earthquake devastated Haiti. And you just saw the, the extreme difficulty. Well, the president of the time of World Vision, Richard Stearns, wrote about a time where he encountered the rejoicing of God in people. And this is what he says. This is the year after, a year after the earthquake in Haiti. He went to a worship service. He said the church's building consisted of a tent made from white tarps and duct tape. So someone from Mississippi built this thing. This is a southerner, right? We don't have anything. Get the duct tape. We're going to have church. And thousands of people, still homeless, gathered under this tent. And in the front row sat six amputees, ranging from years 6 to 60. They were clapping and smiling as they sang song after song and lifted their prayers to God. The worship was full of hope with thanksgiving to the Lord. No one was singing louder or praying more fervently than a young lady named Demosi Lufine. She was a 32-year-old, unemployed, single mother of two. 
during the earthquake, she was trapped under a collapsed building to the point where her right hand and her left leg had to be amputated. She was leading the choir. She was leading prayer. She was standing on her, pro- her prosthesis and lifting her one hand high in praise to God. This is a maturing faith. This is someone who said, I might have only one hand, but I will raise the one hand. I will exceedingly exalt the God of my salvation. When was the last time that you praised like Demosi? I'm saying that to myself. I'm preaching to myself. You guys get to hear. When's the last time that I, that the gospel was so maturing in me and out of me that people looked at my life and said, wow, look at the joy of God. This is a maturing faith. The more I grow, the more the gospel springs out of me and I can rejoice. Oh, that I would sing loudly the song of the redeemed. This is what I want. But the Lord is not finished with us yet. Not only does God change your voice, but he changes your wardrobe. Look at at what the gospel says. Look at what Isaiah says about your clothes. Some of you said, okay, pastor's about to tell everyone they have to wear a suit to church. You do. Here, Here it is. God has clothed me, in verse 10, with the garments of salvation, and he has wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. See, God gives us new clothes. This is the maturing of our faith. So the maturing in Christ results in a recognition now that my maturation, my righteousness is Godward. It is upward. And in one sense, this maturation of the gospel is ongoing. Right? We must daily put on the robes of righteousness. We must daily put on the armor of God. So we are constantly putting on the righteousness of Christ. We're constantly finding Him and following Him and seeking Him. So the righteous clothes are ongoing and they are also instantaneous. You see, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, He gives you the garments of salvation. He gives you the robes of of righteousness. Righteousness is not earned, it's declared. You don't work your way and eventually God says, okay, I get it, you're righteous. No, God says, Josh, you are righteous because of what Jesus Christ did on your behalf. God looked at the blood of his son that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins and he said to everyone who believes, I will declare you righteous. Not because you earned it because Jesus paid for it. And so if that's true, there's a sense that in Christ, you will never be more righteous than you are today. That's the robes of righteousness. Those are the garments of salvation. Because if you can go in and out of righteousness, then how can you ever be sure of your salvation? Righteousness is declared And so if you are in Christ, you will never be more righteous than you are today. Now, yes, God is still sanctifying you, but you are made righteous in Christ. Now, why is that freeing? 
Because I now know that there is nothing I can do to make God love me more. And there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. God looks at his son Jesus and he says, Josh, I love you because of what Jesus did. You are righteous because of what Jesus did. And yet I am still springing forth righteousness in your life. So how does this change the way we see other people? Next time we see someone stumble in their faith, we need to remember that if they are in Christ, they are just as righteous as you are. And so before we lay the hammer down on them, we should say, God, they're yours. And they're righteous. And they're struggling. And the gospel is working out in them. But I want to help. You're not more righteous than anyone else. And you're not less righteous than anyone else. I kind of see maturation of faith like seeing a young child grow. When our kids, they're now four and seven, they're close to that, they're, they're around that age. We, we have two kids, right? Okay, just making sure. When they're learning to walk, or if you've ever seen a child walk, they stumble a lot. Now, our kids still stumble. They just fall. But when they fall and they're learning to walk, we don't, we don't yell at them and say, Get up! You are not a human! Like God is, he's going to take his image away from you because you cannot walk. How dare you blaspheme our family name because you have fallen again. No, we say, I love you. You are clumsy. But you can do it. Like the, the same God who created me to walk is the same God who is birthing in you. And you can do it. Let's go. Don't give up. That's what righteousness looks like. And so before we shout at anyone and say, how dare you fall into that? We need to say, you are as equally righteous because of what Jesus has done. Keep going. You can do it. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. The me of the gospel, the Messiah who who shared this glorious message, is the same one who redeems our souls. So how do we live out this message? I have three thoughts as we conclude. What would our lives look like if the message of God was the only message that we lived? If the only thing that I lived out was I want, to, I want others to find healing and freedom and love and forgiveness If that's the only thing I live for, how would my life change? I think we need to wrestle with that this morning. Secondly, what would your life look like today if your main hope and your main focus was to mature in the faith? If the only thing that consumed your mind when you woke up was, God, how can I grow closer to you today? How different would your life look like? And third, what would my life look like today if I was totally sold out for the Messiah? If I really believed the me of the gospel? If I really lived out, Lord, I have been crucified with Christ. So 
So it is no longer I. It's no longer I, God, who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And maybe when we sing our song of response, you need to come up and pray. That should be your prayer. God, I've been living for the wrong me. And I, I have been crucified. God, let me lay me down again and let the Messiah reign supreme. You might be here today, and I know there are people here that do not believe. Hearing this message enough is not, it's not enough. There has to be a response to the good news. So what is our response? You can pray a prayer today of faith and say, God, I want this. Jesus came for you. And the prayer could sound something like this. God, I know my life is broken. I know I have a broken heart. But you say that you will heal it. God, today I will turn from my sin. And I will turn to Jesus. I believe that your son, Jesus, is God. And I believe he lived a sinless life. I believe he died and I believe he rose again. And I might not know everything, but God, I believe that if I, by faith, make you Lord, I will be saved. If that's you today, I want you to know that God's promise is that you will be saved. That is the glorious good news of the gospel. Keep the Messiah first. Share the message and mature in faith. Let's go to the Lord and pray.